Hi, hello, my name is Amy Michael and I am the host of the Owl Stories podcast. So a little bit about me, I'm a therapist, I'm a licensed clinical social worker in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I'm a private practice owner and you can find out a little bit more about me at www.ameepsychotherapy.com. That's A-M-E-E. P-S-Y-C-H-O-T-H-E-R-A-P-Y dot com. So this podcast is all about sharing people's stories. And I believe that when we can have a better understanding of other people and their stories, we can build empathy. This is the last episode of this season. It's been so much fun doing this, but we are going to change some things up for the second season. So make sure to check that out. So there were some delays with this episode coming out and I'm sorry about that, but it is here, it's happening. This is one of those episodes that was difficult to edit because there was so much snorting and hissing from all the laughing, (laughs) a lot of prolonged silence that you don't know what's going on because it's a lot of (sighs) So anyways, took some time to edit, but this is Dr. Mina Atiyah. He's a wonderful friend of mine and he discusses some of his own challenges of immigrating to the US. He's an asylum seeker, and he does his own further research on the immigrant experience as a professor at George Washington University. He is the perfect twist of brilliance and hilarity, and yeah, here it is. All right, hello? Hello. (laughs) You hear me clearly, is everything good? (laughs) Yes, I hear you very well clearly and I see you clearly as well good I love that I pretend like I start these conversations as if we just started the conversation but actually guys the secret is we were talking before this (gasps) oh my god it's like television when like (laughs) come up to someone's house and you're like oh my god I didn't think anyone would come here whoa oh how (laughs) dare you do you know what I just found out this is a complete side note and not related to anything that we were talking about today so we're doing the process of buying a house and our realtor was on a reality TV show. Oh my God. And she was on one that's called like tiny houses or something. Okay. Mm. And she told us all these truths that it's all lies that they already have bought the house. Oh my God. When they're starting this whole journey and they all pretend to go to these different houses and it's all a lie. That's crazy. So it's just all for show. They don't actually go in there. Yeah. You know, I've, I've watched the ones where they're, they're like, yeah, our budget is like $5 million. (laughs) What do you guys do? And they're like, um, she sells sandals on Etsy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I guess, I guess it's fake, (laughs) but Hey, if you sell sandals on Etsy and make $5 million, good for you. I'm just jealous. <laughs> what are these sandals like? Yeezys? Is that what they are? Maybe. She's like the secret like Yeezy person. No one knows. <laughs> oh, God. This episode is going to be a problem. We're not going to be able to get through it. Whew. Okay. Welcome. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for taking the time. I'm already crying, so we're doing Thank well you so far. So much for inviting me. I'm excited <laughs> so, for this. <clears throat> I know. So when I started this podcast, I wanted people to be able to find a space that they could connect to, right? Mm-hmm. And I I was started a blog and I found myself being like talking about these topics that I was interested in but then I was like you know what I have really smart friends and people who have a lot of knowledge and experiences that I'm like why don't I just outsource and use them and you were the first person that I wanted to talk to oh stop that's so cool well thank you because I love you (laughs) oh I love you and also you're brilliant but don't cry it's okay you're so cool why are you making me we haven't even started but I think my emotions we were laughing so hard earlier and now it's just residual like you're so cool hey I think it's cool that you're doing it like with voice and facial expressions and like real people rather than just writing a blog so yes yes I like this a lot more it's definitely more my style but so we've known each other for a very long time do you mind sharing how How we know each other how we know each other or I wonder if you remember one of our first interactions 
Yeah. So, okay. Well, you moved here in college. You moved here during that, uh, the college years. I picked you up from the airport, I believe. No, 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 no. No, don't just make stuff up. Oh, wait. I picked you up from somewhere. Oh, I gave you a ride to school. I was like, I I was like, there's something here. Cause I heard about you before you got here from your sister. Yes. Yeah. You didn't pick me up from the airport. Would have been awesome, but that's not what happened. In my mind, I'm the hero that picked you up from the airport, but I gave you a ride. I gave you a ride to school. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. So you went to, we went to the same college, UMBC. Yes. And You gave me a ride. I wonder if you, do you remember this? I don't know if you remember this interaction. This is weird. It's implanted in my memory. You dropped me off at the dorm and I was submitting an application. Do you remember this? Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Does that have to do with the date? Yes. Yes, I do remember that. That's so cute. I love that you remember this. Yeah, and I put the date in. So in England, it's flipped where it's the date, day of the month first and then the month. And I was writing it in and you were like, oh that's that's not how we do it here you said something really sweet you were like oh it's fine it's okay but you were like oh that's that's how we did that's how you do it in Europe I guess do you remember that no I remember that I was like oh I was like this takes me back you know I had to go through that when I first moved to this country so I was like it's okay she's just you know she's getting here she's yeah I remember that that was funny and then I dropped you off like a proud proud new friend (laughs) Do you remember, this is off topic, do you remember when, (laughs) so it was the same dorm, do you remember when my dorm flooded? I do remember that, (laughs) oh my gosh, (laughs) did you end up coming and hanging out with us when I and Sam? um... Oh, that's, I like that, that you framed it that way, so this is what happened. Okay, this is how our friendship has been. There's always. I remember been you had McDonald's that night. You had a lot of McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> you were like, do you just need some comfort? I need some McDonald's, some chicken nuggets. Just yeah. stuff them in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> okay, your whole dorm is flooding. <laughs> no, I remember my dorm flooded, and we went into one of the buildings is it was it called the public policy building at you oh that's right yeah 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 to just and then there. you and joy were there for a little bit with me and then you were like hi you got this see ya okay listen i kept saying are you sure you're okay like do you need do you need anything can like I a house McDonald's? like, like can yeah, i, so I don't know like I was like, you know, so supportive. And you're like, no, it's fine. I'm good. And then like you and Joy stayed there for a bit. And then I think Joy also left. Yeah, you guys were jerks. You're right. Joy should have taken me to her house. I just thought about that. Why I didn't just, she? I went home. <laughs> like, <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm, hey, you live on campus. Deal with it. I'm just kidding. No, I like, I'm pretty sure I was like, no, are you okay? And you're like, yeah, just go, just go. I'm fine, fine. Well, I, I think at the time I thought that like, there's no way that they wouldn't give us another place to sleep. I was like, oh, there's no way. Surely they'll find another, op- op- like another option. Yeah. And well, I think that was our thought, right? And then they did yeah. not. They did not. They did you know not. No, you know, what's funny. During my PhD, my first year, I lived on campus. I was yeah. like, like this whole hall director thing. And the first week my building flooded and and I just I this is the first time I think about it you know since it happened did you give um, people McDonald's that day too or I did, no I didn't um <laughs> I was like you know in the middle of having to deal with like school administration people and the firefighters who were there like yeah and oh God. the students um also didn't have anywhere to go they were literally like outside with blankets for a while and then they just went like found friends or went to like I don't know the library or something that's craziness yeah you've Um, lived through that I survived you did survive maybe it was payback maybe I got to live through it (laughs) because you left me with the McDonald's and the chicken nuggets sorry I'm hungry Yeah. So I didn't introduce you. I got distracted about talking about how we know each other, but you're my wonderful friend. Please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you. And yeah, go ahead. 
Absolutely. Yeah, I'm happy to. I'm your wonderful friend. I am Mina. Yeah. Mina Atia, um, or in Arabic, Ataya. I've known you, it feels like ages now. And what I do, I'm an assistant professor of counseling and human development. And I do research. I teach graduate counseling students or training to be therapists. And my interests in my research all lies in the topic of immigrants, refugees, and more specifically asylum seekers. So I look at the impact of trauma, pre and post migration, and how people adjust. And, you know, looking at things like acculturation. And yeah, that's what I do. It's a lot of fun. I feel very privileged and lucky to get to do this work as someone who has actually lived this. So I bring my own experience into it. Yeah. Obviously, I'm going to project my own experiences, but I immigrated from the UK. I was very privileged to even be able to do that. And it was the same language and stuff like that. It was an adjustment, but you were a big part of supporting me through that. Coming to America felt humongous and you were definitely part of helping me adjust that. So it's cool that immigration and people adjusting has been something that you've you've been studying and learning about because I feel like you're already good at it without even realizing it's funny our friendship was so just organic right we had we have like such a similar sense of humor and personality that we we clicked you know just like that but I think we get into the types of work that we do because of our own experiences and I think that's why I, I do this now and I think that's probably why you do what you do too because you've experienced you know certain things and you're like you know what I want to help people Yes. In a way that, yeah, that feels like congruent with who I am. Oh, totally. You're a huge inspiration for me to even get into therapy. So I felt really overwhelming. And then you're a few years ahead of me and you were like, oh, I'm applying for my master's in counseling. And I was like, oh, that's how you can do it. <laughs> and, and we both loved psychology. We both majored in it. And you honestly inspired me and really supported me through that process. So I'm very grateful for you Aww. because now... I've been able to find my passion and I love, freaking love this work. Well, you are killing it and you you. are doing exactly, I think, what you should be doing. Yeah, Yeah. it's cool. Uh, You know, in the the mental health field, there's all of these different routes. And and then I missed the research part. And then that's why that's really the only reason I went back for my PhD. But Mm -hmm. I love this work. It's good. Yeah, well... Speaking of that, what got you into it? What was it that made you so passionate? And what is it about this work that you're doing feels so personal? What is it that makes you feel so passionate about it? I think it's a lot of my own experiences. So I immigrated here when I was nine with my parents. Um, Sorry, not to interrupt you. I didn't realize you were so much older. In my head, you were like a little four-year-old. I didn't realize you were nine. Really? Oh, gosh, no, I was like... Oh, you're a Hold kid. On, grown. <laughs> yeah, you were basically six four at that point, still. Anyway, so I know. Yeah, I I was. Yeah, I was. You know, early growth spurt, <laughs> right after third grade. <laughs> That's terrible. I should know that. I didn't know you were nine. Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no. I think that when you're older, when you're at an age of actually understanding things around you, you get to experience you know immigration from such a different lens. And so, I moved here at nine. I lived in New York and New Jersey and Maryland. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I went through some difficult experiences as a, as a kid trying to navigate the American culture and the American system, what school is like here. Mm-hmm. And so as a result of that, like a lot of the work that I do now is to try to give voice to people. Um, I'm an asylum seeker or we had applied to asylum and that's you know how we are here and so the asylum process in itself it's a difficult process it's one where you there's a lot of uncertainty like you just don't know where you'd have to pack up and go the next day so my work now focuses on asylum seeker experiences and trying to look at the mental health pieces there do you mind sharing a little bit more about what that means like what when you say asylum seeker do you mind sharing a little bit more what that means like what is an asylum seeker? Yes. Yeah. Just for people who might not know. Sure. So under the the big umbrella of immigrants, there are refugees, which we hear refugees all the time, but refugees are folks who come with an adjusted status. So they go through all of the immigration process outside, typically either at refugee camps or refugee offices. 
So when they come, they have their immigration paperwork done and they have some sort of status in the United States. Asylum seekers are folks <clears throat> who are refugees, but they're a subpopulation within that that come and seek refuge and apply for asylum here at either a board of entry. So like at um, the border, which we hear a ton about right now with everything mm -hmm. that's going on in, at the border. And they sometimes do it at the airport or they come oh. into the country uh, with either, you know, a visa or something and um, they apply for asylum. So it's folks who are seeking refuge but the way that it's done is it has to happen after they get here they can't come with any sort of status oh i see so it's yeah. different than a refuge so if you came um as a visitor from to the u.s and then some things happened in your country where it wasn't safe for you to go back that's when you would apply yeah but right. typically, yeah, but typically asylum seekers are already running away from something that has occurred. So you have to prove to the folks here that are handling your case that um, you are either extremely persecuted back home or there's some sort of imminent danger. You're afraid for your life. And so it's I'm going to die like I cannot live or go back to the to my home country. And folks who are asylum seekers and refugees are not people who are just like leaving because they want to, like, it's not like fun. Yeah. Like, I'm just going to go and make a lot of money. It's actually, they're escaping. Like they like their home country. They're just escaping whatever it is that is going on. I just, I'm, I'm a trauma therapist. So my brain is going to what that process must be like. Holy moly. Like having to go in and be like, Hey, this is my home. Yeah. I'm not safe here. I have to, prove to this random probably white person in America <laughs> that mm -hmm. my story is real and my experiences are real and I'm scared yeah. I'm putting the most vulnerable part of me out there to show so I can be safe just that whole process like I don't oh my god like I, don't, I can't even imagine what that's like for people to have to and then the rejection and the time that it takes and all of that and oh goodness that's yeah it's tough. It's tough. And that I'll tell you a little bit, some of the research that I've been doing the past few years, one of the things that is really heartbreaking is that the trauma that people experience back home, obviously, we can expect that, right? They're running away from trauma. But then what they experience when they come here is another type of trauma of just the rhetoric of what we understand of asylum seekers and immigrants in general, where everyone is thinking that these are people who are coming here, you know, take our money, take our jobs, you know, to mm -hmm. infiltrate us with their ideology. And the reality is, <clears throat> I went to the show yesterday called Cartography, which I really recommend. It portrays the experiences of asylum seekers and different experiences. It's so cool. Mm. And they were saying that, you know, there is this rhetoric of what refugees and asylum seekers are, are doing to the country or bringing here. But in reality, the, the refugee or the asylum seeker is the hero in the story. It's someone who's had so much courage to be able to run away from home with essentially nothing and mm -hmm. start a new life and learn a new language and, you know, do all of these things that used to be looked at as heroic like, you know, leaving danger and starting something new. And then they come here and then they experience the reality of, you know, the atmosphere of, of what, you know, America thinks of this population. It's just heartbreaking. So the, the trauma just continues. Yeah. Um, do you mind sharing as a nine-year-old kid, if there's any stories or any thoughts or any memories that come up? Because I don't think people understand this piece. Do you mind sharing some of that and the challenges that you experienced as a six foot four, nine year old? <laughs> that was probably the most challenging part. Just didn't fit into any of the desks or chairs. <laughs> I'm kidding. He's, he was not six foot four. He's now. <laughs> Sorry. You just, I feel like you've always been this like tall kid. Am I, did I make that up? Big kid. No, I mean, I, I definitely had like some growth spurts in middle school, but I, I was always a big kid. Like, it's just, I'm six foot five now. For people listening to what? this, you grew how it big in? is this person? I'm six five. Wait, when did you? You definitely I, used to be six I four. I didn't even grow an inch. I've been six five since like, I don't know, probably like high school. 
Gosh. I'm such a bad friend. I thought that you, I didn't know you were nine. I thought you were the wrong. Well, okay. Let me turn this around. Wow. How tall am I, Minatea? I don't know. I have no idea. I'm okay, a terrible then. friend. Yeah. That's the only yeah. things that matter. Know my yeah. height, my weight. Just kidding. Don't ever That's how we, <laughs> my height, my weight. That's how you measure friendships nowadays. <laughs> my social security number. Anyways. <laughs> I'm sorry. Moving on. So could you share some stories? Uh, I, yeah. You know, I do have a bunch of stories. I'm trying to think. Okay. So early on as a six foot four, six foot five, nine-year-old, I think we've come a long way when it comes to teaching counselors in the schools and teachers to be aware of different cultures and how people who did not grow up here may need uh mm special services and not special like special treatment but they're just not gonna get it as much as the other kids are gonna get it because they can't right. even speak the language so I'll tell you a story I was in so I knew no English like I came from oh Egypt God. I know zero nothing and let me just tell you that was terrifying like I remember that very first day and my parents <laughs> we, we were waiting at the bus stop and I was, I was so scared. I like, I can't communicate with anyone. Like what if I needed something? I don't know. Like I didn't even know how to go to the bathroom. That whole experience was, was scary. And they were just like, good luck. Boop. <laughs> and I get on this bus. Don't, don't poop your pants. Like, you're good. Yeah. I mean, woof. did my best. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. The lunchroom. Okay. So I remember, it's funny how memories like just stick with you. The yeah. lunchroom that day, my very first experience in an American lunchroom, I had no idea what to do. So I sort of just followed what the people in front of me in line were doing. And they had tacos. I didn't know what they were then. I had never oh. eaten tacos in Egypt. <laughs> so we didn't have those, or maybe, maybe now everyone is super cultured. So I literally got everything that the kid in front of me put in his tray. It was like, I was like, oh, what are these shells? And then he like, you know, put me in and I was like, okay. Oh, chocolate milk. <laughs> I guess, hey, you just learn by watching. Those yeah. cafeterias are overwhelming too. I guess there wasn't an adult that thought, oh, maybe this kid who literally doesn't speak any English probably has no idea what the hell is going on here. Well, that's the thing. Like, what are we doing to help these kids? There was no one. I wish there, were, there was somebody there to be like, hey, for your first day or for your first week, you're going to be paired up with this person. Or I don't know, this counselor or something is going to help you or, or tell you about how the American culture works or just how the school works. But there's none of that. They don't do that I, where they pair you. Yeah, that wasn't your experience. I definitely didn't get that. No. I think so like, nowadays we have progressed so much, but my experience was literally just being thrown in there. You just figure it out. Oh my God. Um, so uh, a kind of a sadder story. I had English class. <laughs> Obviously it would be my favorite class because I knew the language so well. And they were, <laughs> and they, they had to do this project. It was a book report or something. And then they had to do a poster on it and present it to the class, right? Imagine you're a kid who just came from a different country. You don't speak English. You cannot read a book. You cannot give a presentation. You cannot make a poster, whatever. That teacher would give me these little cards. And um, during lunchtime, I would have to report to this classroom. And I was like, what is this? And I would have to eat my lunch in this classroom instead of going to the cafeteria. I had no idea what was going on. And then later on, I found out that I was getting detention from the English teacher because I didn't do that assignment. And so I was getting punished, right? I know it's sad, but that's just the reality of it. I was getting punished and going to detention. I, I think I went for a whole week and I was like, I don't understand like what's going on. And I like put two and two together. I was like, oh my God, I'm being punished. Like that's why I'm in this classroom with this lady. And I went home and I was like, I told my mom and I was like, you know what? I'm going to hustle and figure something out. I'm going to get this done somehow. I, I don't even know what I did. I created a poster. I put something together and I handed it in and it was fine. But this teacher had no multicultural competence to be able to just see outside of herself and like 
the the norm of the the children that she's teaching to understand that oh maybe this person who's from a different country is not able to do this assignment right or maybe I can do like give them an alternative assignment so oh my god yeah that's heartbreaking thanks for sharing that I just it makes me angry I feel anger yeah well it's about where's the training where's the support where is it what is going on in the system wise where a teacher is thinking oh I have to give this kid who detention who did was there a conversation was there a talk with you was there a talk with your parents was there a talk why did you not complete this assignment right Mm -hmm. what's going on oh well I'm just going to give them detention and you didn't even understand what was happening oh my god do you know what I was also thinking when you shared that I always had some sort of difficulty focusing growing up like I couldn't focus I always had hard time focusing on school and sitting still I still to this day can't sit still to help to help me but anyways but the place that I was going to I went to a private school went to a good school whatever and I spoke English it was my first language and I went there and I still felt like the teachers weren't able to accommodate to my way of learning that I just couldn't sit still And I would always not be able to focus on the content. And I always felt like I was stupid, like, because I wasn't able to pick up on things. Right. And then I think about a kid who's coming in, who doesn't even speak the language. Yeah. But then what if they also have difficulty focusing? What if they have any other learning challenges at all? Like just something small, like, like me, where I couldn't sit still. Like I remember specifically remember I was shaking my leg. You know when kids do (laughs) yeah and this kid this teacher and she was like stop moving your leg she hit my leg oh my god the fact that you were able to go home that day and be like i will get this done is freaking incredible considering right i was very angry i think i just channeled it in the best way that i i knew i could um because i didn't have any other options and i didn't want the teacher to think i was stupid I had an ESL class, an English as a second language class. You could have, I don't know, talked to that teacher, see how I was doing, maybe collaborate. I don't know. I'm not asking you to go above and beyond, but just show some, I mean, even just on a human level, like, right. Your automatic thought was that this kid, this foreign immigrant kid is being bad and is deliberately not doing his assignment. When in reality, this kid is just terrified trying to adjust to a new school system, a new country, trying to learn the language and has no idea what is going on in this class, right? I did great in all my other classes. Everything else was fine. I understood math, (laughs) but English just didn't, I didn't have it yet, you know? Um, Yeah, why would you? I have memories like that where I had some really wonderful teachers, but I have these moments with teachers like I thought we were talking about English because my, my dad is Egyptian, right? English was not the, the class that we had a lot of support in in my household, okay? I remember doing a paper. <laughs> it's funny, but not funny. And I was so proud of this short story or paper I did. And I put a word in that was like a long word. I don't remember what it was. And I thought it was the coolest thing. It was like the first line of the story. It was like something <laughs> blah, 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 blah. I used like a really long word, like whatever it was. And the teacher read it and laughed at me. Oh, God. And was like, <laughs> laughed at me and was like, you put this where this doesn't make any sense. And I, uh, I was heartbroken. I know it sounds like such a small moment where a teacher probably just wasn't thinking about what they were saying. But I don't think adults and teachers, people who are working with kids understand the power of their words. And you don't know what was going on for me at home where even the smallest glimpse of support meant everything to me as a kid yeah yeah absolutely absolutely yeah um Gosh. so I appreciate you sharing those stories and I'm sorry that happened but yeah. but do you know what's freaking cool is that you are doing the work now to, to educate people about the impact of those things well thank you Amy. it's funny that yeah that all of these experiences that you look back on it and it's it's sad and you get angry hearing it But I appreciate also you saying that you've had some good teachers because I remember my ESL teacher was baller. She was (laughs) so awesome. I still remember her name. And she was just the friendliest, like warmest person. Mm -hmm. And she taught me English. And it was in nine months, I was like, 
okay, well, I guess I could speak English now. And it's insane. Yeah. At nine, that's crazy. I had a math teacher. Just a shout out. Don't don't oh. think he's ever gonna listen to this, but he he thought I was really funny, which at the time as a kid, that's amazing. If you find that is funny, amazing. Yeah, he thought he would like legit laugh at my jokes, which as a kid, that is there anything better than me than a, than an adult and a teacher thinking you're oh funny? Oh gosh, yeah, no, that is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so you shared a little bit about your experience, but. If you could think about your research and just in general, how do you think acculturation, this is a big question, impacts a person's sense of identity? How do you feel it shifts their sense of self? Mm. And you can talk about your own personal experience, but also from research and stuff. I just feel there's this dichotomy of I'm coming from my own country, my own, my family's cultural ideas and stuff, my family's dynamic, blah, blah, blah. And then I'm coming into this whole new expectation how do you think that impacts a person's sense of identity when coming in from such different cultures since we're talking about school and my mindset is when I was younger I'm gonna go back to that I feel like I felt like I was being pulled in two different directions Mm -hmm. so like in one direction I had to learn the language quickly and understand the culture in order to be able to survive and to be able to help my family, right? And this is very common in literature on immigrants that children get parentified very quickly. They end up being the the translators for the family and doing a lot uh, to help support because they they just pick everything up a, a much faster pace. And then on the other side, I was pulled in the direction of your community and family don't want you to become too Americanized, right? Mm. Seeing you advance so quickly when it comes to culture and language and stuff. And they want, that help from you but also are pulling you in this other direction of you cannot let go of our heritage and our beliefs and don't get too american now so it it created sort of this dissonance i think over time you figure out who you are being egyptian versus being american versus coming to a place where you're like oh i'm egyptian american i could be both it's okay for me to hold on to certain things from my culture back home. But it's also okay for me that I'm a person who has acculturated and can survive in this new country and be okay. I think it's so easy for us to think in this dichotomous way, or you have to be one or the other versus like being this new thing that evolves as you Mm. grow as a person. Yeah. But when I was younger, I, I didn't think like this, right? I'm trying to be trying to learn this and I'm being pulled this way and it's it's tough I mean I think it's really tough when you're younger going through that process yeah I think you pretend in both spaces right you might listen to really American cool music or you might try and wear also you might want to wear these really cool American baggy at the time it was like baggy clothes and wear all the cool clothes yeah and then And then when you come into an Egyptian space, you just want to fit in somewhere. You want to feel connected and feel understood somewhere. So you're like, okay, maybe (laughs) if I wear these types of clothes or listen to this music or watch this movie or whatever it might be, maybe they'll think I I fit in. I I connect, right? It's about feeling like connected. I love that because I feel like when you are going through kind of the motions of, well, let me just do the things that I'm supposed to do in this side of things so that I can fit in. I feel like you don't really fit in if you are fragmented and like doing things to please this side and doing things to please this side. I think you finally fit in when you are fully yourself, right? You have understood that it is okay for me to be all these different things at the same time. And that's when it feels whole and that I can actually live in this world and fit into multiple groups. I I know for me, I I felt like an outsider, right? Just trying to fit in the whole time. Yeah. As I've got older, realizing, first of all, there's a lot of different, different people whose families have immigrated here, which is awesome. And a lot of children of immigrants feel the same way as we do, where it's like, yeah. it's like we think our culture is the only, there's differences obviously, but we think our culture is the only culture the way that it is. But then I do think there's a very specific experience of being a child of an immigrant or immigrating here as a child. I think there's a very unique experience. I think there is a similarity in that. And I think when we're in it, we feel like it's only us and we feel so alone. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I I would say that 
you know, our community that we had here that I grew up with was mm -hmm. so important and essential in, in making me and others feel like, hey, there's more of us and we can connect on those similarities. But I will say at the same time, we tend to think of everyone in a very homogenous way as if everyone that went to that church or that community is very similar and had similar experiences. Yeah. And I'm like, no, actually I immigrated here when I was nine. I didn't, I was not born here. I did not have the same privileges as others. I come from a family that was very much lower middle class and a working family. And I just was not afforded a lot of these privileges. And then being put in that community, you're sort everyone's just like, oh, okay, like flowers and roses. And we love mm -hmm. the community. And it's like, well, we also have to recognize that like folks have different experiences. We're not, we're not all the same within group, but I say this and also say, I think the amount of support that the community provides is so good for people who are just trying to find somebody in a land that is so foreign. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I think you're right. Even in, within that space, there are people who've had different experiences. And also there was a set, there was a sense of divide even within that group. Right. Yeah. How do you feel like it impacted you or impact kids or as adults when they're having this sense of two identities at once? How do you think that impacts Mm. people yeah yeah I think folks when they're when they're feeling pulled in two different directions they it's too much I think just cognitively to constantly feel like that I feel like it's it's almost like cognitive dissonance you have this war in your head and so naturally you will gravitate to one or the other right until you're able to find harmony with who you are I think that kids especially will gravitate to one or the other more at certain times in their life. And I've, I've seen it in myself. Yeah. Um, I've seen it in other folks that, that we know that we've grown up with or just other folks in, in, in the general immigrant community. I think that if I was to tell folks who are younger, mm. that it's just okay. It's okay to be who you are and where you are right now in your identity. You don't have to figure everything else or everything out right now. It's a process and it'll be okay. You'll be fine, but just, just take it day by day. Yeah. But there's no, there's no recipe for how no. this identity development stuff works. And especially for an immigrant who's trying to wrestle with everything else that's going on, Yeah, you know, and like soaking up, it's like drinking water from a fire hydrant essentially. So you like, you don't have time to like, ah, yeah. yeah. Like, oh my God. Oh, like <laughs> there was one time where, oh my gosh, all the stories are coming back. We had to do an assignment. This was a few years after I immigrated. We had to do an assignment on our favorite song. And I was like, I don't know pop culture in America. Like what? I don't have a, a favorite song right now. Oh, uh, the struggles. Yeah. So wait, what did you pick? You're not going to tell me more about that. I'm going to tell you, you're going to love it. Oh my God, I'm so excited. I picked Celine Dion's My Heart Will Go On. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I stand by that choice now, actually. But, you know, younger Mina, <laughs> my teacher was probably like, wow, a little. <laughs> Um, advanced it's <laughs> really passionate everybody else is like in sync like it's really streets passionate. back all right <laughs> like doo -doo -doo. <laughs> yeah i mean you know what just look back and laugh now but i can't breathe uh, <laughs> Oh my gosh. I could have watched that presentation. Why is this your favorite song? I didn't know other songs. I just, I, you know, it was a great movie. Who am I going to pick? I I could give you a nice Tamar Hosni song. It was like, you know what? It's My heart will go on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the mantra of how you were feeling at the time. You're like, I'm just trying to keep going. Like, I'm in this disastrous, like, boat that's sinking. Here you go. <laughs> it's like, I'm 
metaphor for how you were feeling. Literally. Oh my God, my stomach, dude. The week, oh God, you're the best. Thank you for sharing that. Oh my God, that's the best thing ever. You know what? Great song. I will, I will stand by my choice. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Dion's amazing. But it's just funny because what, you're like 12? It's like a little kid. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Like, wow, current favorite song. <laughs> His favorite is the Titanic. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, I'm sorry. I'm sweating. That was great. Thank you. Hey, so, you know what? yeah. What was your favorite song at the time? You have to tell me now. I hope it's. Dude, probably Britney Spears. I've been really into the free Britney movement. I've been reading all about it. No, uh, not allowed to say that. You're supposed to say something, you know equal to my heart Dude, I was really interested I was so I had a different experience than you so I was confused <laughs> like, about Abdel Halim was yours yeah yeah no like I was trying really hard to understand my Egyptian identity oh. so when I was in middle school I was like obsessed with Tamar Hosni and if you know guys who don't know who that is just give him a quick google and I thought he was the hottest most attractive he has one eyebrow you know, I just thought he is amazing. And he's so, I didn't understand any of the Arabic anyway. So it was a weird experience because I was trying to understand my Egyptian side and trying to connect with that. So, but then it was embarrassing in, the, in itself. Whoa. He's a famous Egyptian singer. Just for you guys to know. Oh my God. That was yeah. so great. Yeah. Um, where were we? Okay. I wanted to go back to something that you were saying. So you were talking about your school experience and stuff, but this is a tough question, but we were talking about how if you had some sort of adult support or some sort of knowledge at the time of some teachers having some sort of education around your experience. But what do you think would be helpful within school systems and just schools or communities or what do you think would help these students who are going through this experience? What do you think would be more helpful? Yeah. I think we talked, we started talking about this a little bit, but I think yeah. these kids going into the schools for the very first time uh, after immigrating, it's a terrifying experience. So if there's anyone there that could help them maybe doing a little, I don't know, orientation or something. Yeah. And maybe this is stuff that's being done now and I just haven't been in the schools for a while. I think that from the mental health side, I think that the, the school counselors and the school social workers can play a huge part in this. Like just making sure that the kid knows what their role is. Like, I didn't know what a school counselor was. I just, I don't think we had one back home. So just letting them know, I am the person that's here to support you. Like, if there's anything going on, you can come to me, whether that's problems with peers or teachers or assignments or problems with your mental health, whatever it is, just know that there's someone here for you. Just mm -hmm. letting them know that that like resource exists, I think is super important. Then also, I mean, if you could train folks who are working in the schools to just be a little bit more culturally sensitive and understand these folks to not automatically think the worst when you see a kid. We know from trauma work, we understand that kids who have a significant amount of trauma can sometimes look like they are not paying attention or they're, they're disengaged. Um, yeah. They could look like they're angry sometimes, or they could look like they're depressed. And instead of pathologizing or making it a, or even worse, making it about you and like, oh, this kid's being rude, just understand where that kid is coming from, right? And just be a little bit more sensitive to that and be accommodating. This one teacher, that assignment, the book report assignment, is not going to make or break my educational experience. You know what I took out of that? I will still remember how terribly I was treated, right? It's these moments that the kids are going to remember and we, we need to do better when it comes to that. Yeah. 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 I think, no, I think you're totally right. I remember when I was a kid, they would just take things so seriously. Like yeah. getting this assignment done is the most important thing. <laughs> and it's like, oh my God, now I'm an adult and I'm listening to kids. and So I see kids as well. And it's just like, oh my god this is such a blip but at the time I feel like people just take things so seriously and so heavy and it's like guys if he can't complete this specific assignment then why do we have to shame a child and make them right. feel bad about it yeah. I think what you said about defining roles is so important even kids coming to therapy part of my work 
as a trauma therapist is helping, especially in the beginning with kids, is helping them understand why they're coming. It takes them a lot of time to even understand why they're here. And they'll come and I'll be like, why do you think you're coming to therapy? Why do you think your mom and dad are bringing you here? Oh, because I was bad. Because mm-hmm. yeah. I because I hit this kid or I did this. Kids will internalize things and usually will think it's something that they did wrong or internalize like shame a lot of times when we don't explicitly explain things. Yeah. And sometimes I have to keep going every week. I have to remind them, why are we here? What are we doing here? Oh, it's because I was bad. It's because I was bad. And it's like, no, actually, this is a type of therapy to help kids who have been through sad and scary things, right? So it's just having to define that is so important and realizing using specific child language. Like I said, kids who've gone through sad and scary things is very specific to children. Yeah. Using that type of language. Also understanding that repetition and just because you said it once doesn't mean they're going to get it. Yeah. I think sometimes as adults, we get wrapped up in certain things that we don't understand how kids are internalizing things. And we make assumptions like, oh, they're lazy or they don't want to. Or there's, And I, as a therapist who gets into the minds of children and adults, yeah. it's it's not, I, very rarely a kid is just doing it to be a jerk. It's not, I, sometimes they are, but then, well, there's meaning there too. Why do they want to be a jerk? There's probably some yeah. meaning that they want to do. Anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. I totally agree with what you're saying. I think that we need to move to a system that has more of a, a warm welcome into the schools rather than this very cold, let's just throw you in there and hope that you swim, right? Humans are very resilient and people do fine. You know, a lot of kids just go through it like that and they thrive and it's great, whatever. However... <laughs> We need to stop looking at resilience as this expected thing Mm. from people who've experienced trauma and celebrate resilience when we are just functioning in a very terrible system where people don't have to go through difficulties. Why are we like, it's okay, they'll be resilient, but what, what if we just did something or put things in place so that they don't have to go through traumatic experiences when they come here, right? Yeah. And, and rather than celebrating like the resilience that comes from that, why don't we just celebrate current strengths that they have when they come, right? I, I have such a hard time with that. You know, oh, they're fine. They're resilient. Well, the resilience comes at a cost, I will say. It's like if a cop has a, a bulletproof vest and then you're like, oh, well, they have the bulletproof vest. It's fine if they just run into a, a shooting. And it's like, well... I'd rather not get shot, even if I do have a bulletproof vest. Yeah. Yeah, I'll survive, but it's not great. It's not great. And folks, you know, kids with certain temperaments are not as resilient as others. It's just the reality of it. So not Mm -hmm. everyone makes it out okay. You know, some kids have a really hard time. And to deal with it, they go and, and, you know behave in certain ways or take on drugs and alcohol and stuff at an early age. We know that resilience is not a factor that everyone has like based on just people's temperaments and so Mm. we can't just expect it from everyone why don't we put things in place where where not everyone has to be tested in that way like right be a little bit more sensitive trauma sensitive training for everybody right right yeah well, how can we talk to those folks who want to be a support, but feel like, I don't really know what to say or what not to say. I don't know how to help or not to help. What mm. would you say to those folks? Yeah, I think honestly, it comes from the parents. If they're celebrating diversity and appreciating the differences that people bring, you know, what are, what are the messages that are being sent at home by mom uh, and dad about people who are different than you? Is it don't talk to anyone that's different? Or is it, you know, everybody is bringing something unique to the table? Yeah, I, I mean, I talked earlier about the rhetoric that, that we hear all the time in America about immigrants, you know, that they are here to take over people's jobs and be on welfare and social security and all this stuff, which is not true. So what are we saying to our kids at home? And are we, are we being purposeful in, in having diversity around us at at home and our kids having diverse friends or are we strictly making sure that all their friends are literally the same as that when people don't experience diversity they're scared of others that's the reality of it that's where that rhetoric comes from it's just fear everyone gets really scared of of things that they don't know they've never experienced so i think it starts at home honestly 
And I think if you're an adult and you're like, you know what, I grew up in a space where I wasn't exposed to people who are different than me, then, you know, trying to reach out and trying to connect yourselves with people who are different. Yes. Right. I think I am in a very privileged position as a therapist where I am exposed to that with my line of work, which is awesome. And I get to hear people's stories and understand and hear them and who are very different than me and from different cultures, different backgrounds. And so I feel it has built my sense of understanding of humans and I feel so lucky and privileged to be in this position, but I also know that not everyone gets this, gets this privilege that I have, that they actually can come and sit with someone who, who may be a completely different experience than what I have and hear their story. It could also start with, I know this might sound silly, but what you watch on, on TV, what do you watch? What type of people's stories are you watching? Right. What books do you read that are like people's stories? Are they just the same as you? Let's mm-hmm. let's be curious and be interested in people who look and are different than you. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you're someone who's not exposed to that at a younger age, then when you are older, then your your group of friends, the way that you interact with the world stays very much the same. Like until you go out of that bubble and, and are purposeful in understanding the experiences of others and understanding also that truth is yours and your truth is not someone else's truth right I think a lot of people Mm. in this world with the idea of you know I see it from this lens and it must mean that my truth is the is what is right and everybody else has to function from that but each person's truth is individual to them and we have to like be able to see outside of ourselves and if we're unable to do that, I mean, we're gonna always be in, in you know, our, our little groups and never actually interact with the world. The world is beautiful. You know, it's, we've got so much around us, so much beautiful diversity and, you know, yeah. we, we could choose to, to experience it or not. Yeah, and I think another part is if you're experiencing your own, we all have bias, we all do. We have bias against, and just like you said, like my truth is might be different than another person's truth. And I think a part of what's important is processing our own shit and realizing that when we, when we have our own traumas and our own things that we haven't healed from, a lot of times people who are different than us, we hurt those people Yeah, and we, we go against those people because it feels better than looking internally and looking at my own hurt. Right. right. I wanted to bring up that question. Cause I do think there are people who are like, you know what? I, I care about my Egyptian brother or sister. I care about this person. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes it's like, yeah. And I appreciate that. But I also want you to look internally too and not right. necessarily focus on everybody around you. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Gosh, that's so important. And I know that as therapists, we do that all the time, the like self-reflection and just being able to sit there and think, you know, we generally people don't just sit and and reflect and think, right? We don't really value that in our society. Like we have to be on the go and we really value like tangible works where we could see results. But when do we take, you know, time to just think about ourselves, our our own stuff, like you said, our reactions to things, why we get worked up about certain things? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're talking about these stories and all these things are coming up for you from when you're a little six foot five, nine year old. What would you say to your younger self as an adult mm. now? What would you tell that little little boy? I would say you're doing great and everything's going to be OK. Mm-hmm. I think that the uncertainty of having to always be moving around and that this has been my experience as an immigrant sometimes folks will immigrate just once but my experience was as an asylum seeker especially we moved around to different places yeah so there's a ton of uncertainty and you don't know when you're going to be leaving this place next how much you should invest in friendships because you knew that maybe in a year or two you're gonna be somewhere else and meet new people mm-hmm. you just have this general sense of things not being okay or just not settled or not being able to just kind of let your hair down and just take a breather you're always on the go Mm -hmm. so I would say just 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 know that you're doing great and things will be okay yeah yeah (laughs) I love that I think especially as kids they can't see forward very much they literally just see they just see what's right in front of them right they don't think oh when I'm 40 years old they're not really thinking about that 
Not and they have no power and no control over their lives at all. So it's just, you're yes. just right. You're just living, surviving, the, surviving. Yeah, yeah, literally. Yeah. My last question: What do you wish that other people understood around immigration and the whole experience? When people make comments around it, or just clearly have misunderstandings around it, what do you wish those who don't, who haven't had the experience that you've had, who haven't had to immigrate what do you wish those people understood i wish that people understood the amount of courage it takes for someone to uproot their life and to move to a new place where they leave their family behind uh, everything that they've ever known their language and to look at immigrants are as folks who are the heroes in the story right not the, the people who are the villains who are coming to to the country to, you know, take it over and whatnot, but really look at folks as, as courageous heroes. Yeah. Badass. Right. I think so. Yeah. I mean, and I'm not saying this because, you know, I'm an immigrant, so I'm a qualitative researcher. So I'm very much a storyteller. I hear people's stories and I, and I tell their stories from the, the academic side to try to make sense of what is happening with, with folks. But Hearing, hearing stories, I see it over and over again. There's a lot of similarity where people just feel they are misunderstood in this country and they are experiencing traumas that they never thought that they would experience before. I had a, a participant tell me, you know, I've experienced some discrimination back home. It was a, it was a man from Ghana. Um, and he said, but I never felt racism back home. He was like, oh, coming to America God. was the first time I experienced racism in my life. And I never even thought about that. And I was like, oh my gosh. And, and you alluded to this earlier, the idea of intersectionality within group, how having different layers like really impacts your experiences. Yeah. So we, I, I think we just need to do better, whether it's in the schools or just the environment of our country in general and being able to accept people. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. Yeah. That's crazy. That's why I wanted to do this podcast in the first place. I think when we hear people's stories and understand them and understand their experiences, that's how we can build empathy and build understanding. Yeah, absolutely. Right? You can't negate someone's story. And that's why I really appreciate you sharing those small moments that small, but huge moments that you had growing up that defined how you grew and how you connected with the country and how it made things really challenging. Because I don't think people understand that. I don't, unless you're, unless you're willing to have the vulnerability to share. So I really appreciate you being open about that. Well, you're welcome. And I appreciate you doing this podcast. Uh, this has been a lot of fun. And yeah, this was, it was cool. I feel this is in a way a space, not only for, for people to hear stories, but it's like a healing space too. You know, I think that as we're telling our own stories, it's just, it's neat. I haven't talked about this stuff in a while, so oh my gosh I love thank you Amy stuff. you're I have, so welcome yeah well I if you want more embarrassing stories let me just tell you oh my god <laughs> please could you the immigrant experience it's just a lot of fumbling around in the beginning just a, like really just trying to make it and sometimes you just uh you listen to my heart will go on and everything goes on everything will be okay <laughs> after that okay. we can end if you have one more or one more story do you have one have that you can think plenty. of plenty uh, there's just also they're so embarrassing but they are kind of funny I remember um I went to Taco Bell and <laughs> my very first time in Taco Bell this is so random I we keep talking about tacos maybe you need to get some is, tacos oh my god it's funny because I love tacos now but uh, first time I uh, didn't really know and had no idea it was like a Mexican restaurant and sure. they had their Mexican pizza on there and so I just assumed it was just pizza because a recognized word. I was like, oh, I know what pizza is. Like, I want that. And I got it. And I was like, this tiny little, like, I was like, what? I was like, why does this have beans on it? It was like, like a tostado with like beans and stuff. Ew. And I was so confused. I was like, wow, America's weird. <laughs> it's just Taco Bell. I think your first mistake was going to Taco Bell. Well. We used to go to Taco Bell a lot. Pizza. <laughs> When you want pizza, you go to Taco Bell. To Taco How Bell. did we survive in college? We went to Taco Bell a lot. Oh my gosh, I'm, so much Taco Bell. A random fact. I remember we went, you and I went to College Park, which is where 
which is the neighboring University of Maryland. Yeah. And we went to visit your cousin, Peter. Yes. And we went to McDonald's and then we bought a bunch of stuff. And then we- Like a theme here. And then we went to Taco Bell. And then we went to Taco Bell after. That's so gross. Like, why? Wow. I mean- yeah that's why we're the classy people that we are now i can't even have one burrito whatever without feeling like crap for three days i don't understand how i was surviving what was i doing what were you doing what were we all doing oh my god but i mean let me me just tell you don't get me wrong i could still have a burrito and a whole taco bell and be just fine Well, I'm glad you enjoyed the Taco Bell pizza that no one's ever had. I think you're probably the only customer who's ever had a Mexican Taco Bell. I'm pretty sure they took it off the menu, like, after that experience. (laughs) It's like, what is this hard shell with beans on it? And why are they calling it a pizza? And, I mean, it was was good. It tasted good. Just confusing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, man. Well... So happy I got to see you and hang out with you. I hope that I can come visit you soon. Yes. I'm still crying from my heart will go on. Thank you for that. You're so welcome. I am. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Story was buried in my memory somewhere and somehow it just flew out today. I can pluck anything out. It's all good. Do you think that as a child of an immigrant, I don't think our parents fully understood some of the things that we were watching that were probably you shouldn't have been watching Titanic. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Where I'm like, I feel like I watched that when I was a kid and now I'm looking back, I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe I watched that when I was 10. (laughs) This boy of the year just watching Titanic, like falling in love with the song. But yeah, no, I mean, no, that's it's very, very real. Immigrant parents are are in a different place when it comes to all of that. If I was behind when it came to, yeah. you know, knowing songs and movies and stuff, there's no way my parents were anywhere close. So yeah, and like how that feels as an adult as well. I even now I didn't grow up here, but if I don't know an American movie or something that's strictly American, I get you don't know that. Oh my god, you don't know that movie? And it's like, no. Worst. I didn't come uh. here. No. And it, there's no room for if you don't know the very specific American things or around the culture, you're an idiot. That's what I always I right? still feel that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's just people don't realize those comments of alluding that you're stupid. I know. If you didn't. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I and I get yeah. and I, again I'm from England and it's I still feel frustrated when I get those comments of You've never watched that. You don't know what this means. And it's like, right. I had a different experience. My truth is different than your truth. It doesn't there we make go. me stupid. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> I mean, do you know who Tamar Hosni is? No, you don't. No, you don't. And you probably don't want to know. <laughs> Keep it that way. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Dude, he was my Justin Timberlake, Tamar Hosni. He was oh my... my I was yeah. obsessed with him. It's so no, he was like he was a big deal in Egypt for a while. Yeah, yeah, he's my inspiration. That's why I kept one eyebrow as a kid. He was my one. Oh my goodness! Wow, you were so impressionistic. Just <laughs> like for Halloween, dressing up as Tamara Hosni. <laughs> like and Amy, who are you? <laughs> Tamara. Whoa. Whatever. What were you, Celine Dion? You were just Dion. you dressed up as Titanic with the boat. <laughs> I, I was the whole boat. <laughs> or the iceberg. Very rude. <laughs> Is that because I was a six foot five, nine-year-old Amy? <laughs> what were you? The whole boat? <laughs> <laughs> well, you're the iceberg. I was the iceberg. <laughs> you're no. The ocean. <laughs> <laughs> no. <that's- laughs> No, that is not what I was insinuating. (laughs) Thank you for calling me out for my very ignorant comment. I appreciate it. I want want everyone to hear this, put this on the interwebs. Everyone should know I was attacked by this large iceberg. (laughs) Oh, God. That was great. Thank you so much.
All right. I'm going to end this recording. Dang. So lovely. So real. And I will see you soon. Let's plan to come visit soon. Maybe over Thanksgiving. Are people doing Thanksgiving now? I don't know. I have no idea, to be honest. I don't even know moving forward if uh, things are going to get better or worse. It's just a weird place. Yeah. What a nice way to end. (laughs) Yeah. Just a weird place. Best wishes. Take your vaccines, please. Get your boosters if you are able to, please. Yes. All right. Goodbye. Goodbye, friend. Love you too. Bye. Bye.